Welcome to the Love Good Podcast, brought to you by our patrons, where you learn how to love what is good and become what you love. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and the art of being human. We're more than a subscription company. Love Good is a movement of artists, patrons, and young people who believe in the power of beauty to change the world. And we're so pumped you're here. What's going on, everybody? Thanks, as always, for tuning in. It's really a joy right now to be introducing this conversation that I'm going to have with Dr. Ryan Hanning in a few moments. But before I do that, you are very, very aware at this point. If you're one of our regular podcast listeners, if you get our weekly emails, if you're following us on social media, if if we're friends like in real life and we hang out, then you're hearing myself, Marisol, our artists, our apprentices, and our most committed patrons chatting about something very exciting, which is the Love Good Contest. And you're not going to tune in to anything that we're doing for the next month and, and not hear about it, okay? And at this point, we have just under 100 people signed up and competing for a free trip to Nashville, free vinyl record players, you know, house concert with me, all kinds of really, really fun and beautiful stuff. And if you don't know about it yet, do yourself a favor and go to lovegoodcontest.com and get signed up today. This is an exclusive opportunity for our patrons. And so if you're not yet a patron, you'll have to do that as well. But here in just a few moments, I'm sitting down with Dr. Ryan Hanning to talk about the temperaments. Now we've touched on this before, but this is the deepest conversation about temperaments I've ever had in my life. And for those of you who are new to this, it's it's the whole idea that we are hardwired with particular personalities, that all of us have unique strengths and weaknesses. And that means gifts and struggles that we bring into our day-to-day lives. And I've never yet drawn the connection between the the temperaments and the transcendentals. And you kind of see that Ryan and I in this episode are are more than anything trying to process a lot of this out loud. So this is a a super eye-opening and enlightening conversation, unlike any we've ever had before. So stay tuned. I'll be back in just a moment with Dr. Ryan Hanning. But first, I want you to enjoy this beautiful little excerpt from For Those I'll Leave Behind, a single released by Kevin Hyder in 2015 off of his EP, Us, which was, for a time, a Love Good exclusive. Hope you enjoy. And at that hour when death for me doth come I'll be thinking of all I've ever loved As sure as the sky's blue, my darling wife I'll think of you, you're my home You're that place where I am from You two must go, you must go You must leave your heart You must go, you must go Well, we've just eaten lunch, which is always, you know, a bit risky. Yeah, it is. Because we're literally still digesting everything that just went into our bodies. This is easier than the after lunch talk, though. The after lunch talk, when everyone's there, is glazed over. I know. I mean, if any of us get glazed over, we won't take it personally. That's right. right. We're good. If you guys get glazed over, we will take it personally. (laughs) But we won't know. We won't know. So we are back with Dr. Ryan Hanning, regular contributor on the Love Good Podcast. How are you feeling? Good. Feeling great. Actually, you know, it's, it's amazing. We... We should record our pre-conversation conversations. Oh, they're all recorded, Ryan. Oh, good. All <laughs> of them. 
Good to know. Yeah. But I think some of our biggest insights like come after, as we talk about the quality of the food we've just eaten or I something. Mean, I, I might hit pause on the video. I never hit pause on the audio. Yeah. I have it all. You have it all. Good. Be careful what you say. Yeah, it's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I, now I'm, I'm nervous. Little, well, yeah. And I'm a little ashamed to admit this, but there were some not so pleasant not even words, just noises coming out of some of our guests and contributors in, in seasons past when they just didn't know what was being captured eternally or immortally, or I don't know how to call that, but you know. Good, good blackmail for, for future good use. Black- <laughs> Trust me, I delete all of it. You never know. I mean, right now, good question I have is my journals. Yeah. I've been writing in a journal kind of probably every other day consistently oh, since wow. 2005. So it's now almost an entire shelf. Yeah. It's like a, a small, progression of your thought. Yeah. But like, whoa, it's also like a confession of sins. Yes. And it's, you know, a very scary, like, look back at who I used to be. And I'm just trying to figure out, do I, do I eventually burn it? That's what part do of, I do? Part of who you are. Just keep it. I mean, this is the kind of thing that would really, I don't know that I want anyone to read it. Yeah. You know? I know. I know. But <laughs> it's part of what made you who you are. So I mean, think <laughs> Augustine's confession, right? Is like the you know, the par excellence biography of, of a yeah. mind, you know, or even like, you know, Newman's Apologia Pro Vita Sua. I mean, yeah. you know. But didn't they, he like publish that knowingly? I mean, you even said no, Mother Teresa, that, that was not intended yeah, for her Mother Teresa wasn't, but, you know, but the other ones, but Newman was, you know, he published that serially. People lined up to get Dickens chapters and uh-huh. they lined up to get the Of the Apologia, Apologia yeah. Pro Sua Vita. Yeah. She saw I did like an Italian accent yeah, there. I, like thing. That, I don't yeah. know what just <laughs> <That's> happened. <right. laughs> <laughs> I was telling my kids the other day, so, you know, for the canonization of, blessed, or now St. John Henry Newman, I was showing him all the places I, you yeah. know, studied at and and really had the blessing of following his footsteps. But, but gosh, you know, one of his his big insights was that, you know, part of, part of your past has formed the tapestry of who you are. And he never wanted to ignore that. So he called yeah. it cautious action upon the past is what he called it. Interesting. So... Yeah, we want to definitely move past that sin. We don't want to glorify it, but we want to recognize that part of that was our progression away from from vice to virtue. So yeah. I would keep it. I can keep it for you if you want. I'll just storm my house. <laughs> I think it's just like, going to come a day where I'm going to have someone I really trust to take all of it and transcribe it and, yeah. then, and then burn it. And then burn it all. I mean, transcribe only the good stuff. Oh, yeah. you're right. No, you're totally right. I'm sitting here realizing this is just pure vanity coming yeah. out of my mouth right now. Yeah, just, just Dang it. leave it all. Leave it all. This is why I don't write a journal. I don't have any <laughs> consideration. <laughs> my only evidence is my children's memory of all the failed times. <laughs> I was talking one time and the kids were there and my son reminded me that I, I've, I've once or twice kicked our goats. <laughs> I thought, yes. Nice. That's true. I, yeah. I have animal cruelty for uh, for animals that won't, won't listen to me. Those are big but, animals. I mean, I've never kicked a cat, but yeah. I, I often want to. Yeah, cat, maybe not. But but our goats are good size. They can bring it to me too. But yeah. the idea is that we all we all have shortcomings. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. The Lord's able to tie all those up, and uh-huh. this is it goes back to actually what we were talking about before too. That God does not want to conquer us. Right. He wants to make us who we are. You know, in marriage, I don't want you know my wife is not a problem to be solved. Right? She's a person to be encountered and brought to her fruition. Mm. It's a very different approach. I think our yeah. lives have to be a little bit like that, even our past. Well, we're all, I think, pretty uncomfortable with mystery, first of uh-huh. all, and imperfection. I and mean, maybe oh, yeah. that's more my personality type, you know, but like perfectionism is a real problem for me. And I impose that on p- other people too. Right. It's not just like on myself. I've built a lot of expectation around who I'm supposed to be or how quickly I'm supposed to accomplish something at what point I'm at that next threshold of life, you know, but Someone's, man, that's suffocating. Yeah, some of that's biological though too. I mean, yeah. Like, 
the reality is our temperaments, our, our biological realities, we're made in certain ways. Can we talk about temperaments? Yeah, sure. you, you are one of a handful of people who not only talk about temperaments pretty frequently, but have studied them deeply. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a lot of folks, myself included, total amateurs. Like I've never read a single book on the temperaments. I, I know there's all these books about yeah. it and I've definitely taken all the freebie tests online. Sure. But what is all this stuff uh, about we can, temperaments? We can sum it up in like five minutes. It's, Let's hear it. Temperament's easy. So essentially your temperament plus your character equals your personality. We can spend the whole episode talking about this. We could. If you want. It mean, might be worth it. People need to know this stuff. I, I, I love this. I encountered it pretty late. So I... I encountered temperaments both in my studies of uh, ancient Greek medicine. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> now, in ancient Greek philosophy, and then also through a dear friend, Alex Havard, at the Virtuous Leadership the Institute. The guy from France. The guy from France who's now in Moscow and Russia. You gave me one of his the books, guy's by the way. A stud. The guy is, is an intellectual giant. Yeah. He's got the qualification too, where he has this really cool French-Russian accent. So when he talks, you're just like naturally I mean, enamored, you know? Yeah. Very serious, but just a, a really amazing, amazing man of deep faith and deep intellect. But essentially, he has this beautiful line, and he just—he's just taking what the ancient Greeks said and and distilling it in a way that's really consumable, which is a beautiful thing. Makes it makes makes us able to to comprehend in a way that's really really beautiful. So yeah, temperament plus your character equals your personality. Most people look at personality, but they don't recognize what of your personality is just biological. And a lot of people look at the biological components of personality as deterministic. So essentially they say you you can't be anything other than your biology. Mm. And that's not the proper way, not a Christian perspective of looking at it. So your temperament essentially is that innate characteristics you're born with, they're given to you by God. They are a gift, but the pre-fallen temperaments, while they would proceed to virtue, <laughs> in the post-fallen world, they can also proceed to vice. Yeah. And so the four temperaments, also called the four humors by Hippocrates, the ancient Greek doctor, is choleric, which tend to mean you're you're a person of action. And then underneath that would be melancholic, which means you're a person of ideas. Then next to that would be sanguine, which is you're a person motivated by relationships, by people. And then the last one would be phlegmatic. You're motivated by peace or harmony or things working together. So you can think of like vocations. Most people who are engineers tend to be phlegmatics, right? They like mm. order, they like progress, they like it that way. Most politicians tend to be choleric, mm. right? They just want things done. They're not good at getting them done, but they want them done. <laughs> Most Russian authors, you got uh, Dostoevsky here, you know, are melancholic, gotta absolutely. Be. Most you know, artists probably too. Most artists, a lot yeah. of them have big ideas, really yeah. deep. And then then most sanguines are like actors and comedians and stuff. You huh. know? So, But the reality is, is that your temperament is just the start, right? Because yeah. in your character, and your character is about what you choose and the virtues you live and you know, your environment, how you respond to it, that combined with your temperament. So you can be a choleric and the, the choleric, and this again goes back in the research of Alex Havard. He does a great job. A simple book, you know, from temperament to character walks through this. And it's meant to really be accompanied by like either him speaking or sometimes I'll go with them and I'll do the English, you know, and he speaks like Russian, English, Spanish, French, Ma Mandarin, French. Mandarin. Guy's got it all. He's amazing. But you know, he walks through this and sort of says, look, if you're a choleric, you might be a choleric, you know, melancholic. So you might be prone to action and big ideas, but you're probably a majority one or the other. Or you could be a choleric sanguine, which is you're motivated by ideas, but you really love people. That combination is going to provide different challenges for you, different blessings, different challenges. So a choleric's going to have a lot of natural energy to get stuff done, but they're not really good at discernment. They're really good at decision. So prudence, the cardinal virtue of prudence, you have to have discernment and decision. Yeah. And Thomas Aquinas says this, right? So he says, a person with prudence is able to properly analyze the situation and upon analyzing upon finding the truth, then able to act on it. Mm. And he says, the imprudent man can't discern 
or act on it. So you might discern all the time and never act. Yeah, You're not prudent. Or you might act without discernment. You're not prudent. So the caller, they need to work on not just prudence, but specifically discernment because they're great at decision. So anyway, so you can you can walk through your temperament. It's a great way of sort of trying to understand who you are, how God has made you, but not being stuck there. You can't say, oh, hey, you have to deal with me being a bully because I'm choleric or, hey, honey, you have to deal with me being unfaithful because I'm a sanguine. Mm. <laughs> it's meant to be built upon the virtues proceed from your temperaments and the making your personality. And so, how far back does this go? All the way back. So Hippocrates talks about the four humors. This is part of ancient Greek medicine. What century are we talking here? Yeah, so going back to the fourth century before Christ. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I honestly thought it was sort of in the same category as the five love languages for a long time, no. which would be pretty recent pop psychology. Yeah, right. so, so temperaments can be pop psychology. They're used that way, but temperaments are usually you know, better understood as sort of these, these four general categories. And you can get sort of stereotypical. I mean, you can say like, yeah. you know, that most Italians are typically sanguine, which is actually true. There's sort of this like cultural, a little bit of this yeah, cultural yeah. affinity. You know, it like cracks me up. Like Don Quixote is a really good example of, yeah. of all action, no discernment, right? So he's an example of a really high choleric, which the Spaniards, so even if you look at ancient manuscripts like the, so in Hippocrates' Manual in Medicine, they actually would draw little pictures of the different different nations that were known mm. at the time, and they would stereotype it based off of their humor, based off of their temperament. We'll be back in just a moment with Dr. Ryan Hanning. All right, y'all. So I'm going to be geeking out every single episode for at least the next month about some aspect of our Love Good contest for patrons, okay? And the thing that is worth fighting for, getting signed up and excited about even now is one of our three free trips to Nashville. We're only giving away three of these to patrons who round up 20 additional patrons. Now, I know that sounds kind of intense, all right? But believe it or not, we have an average of seven to 10 new patrons at every event that we ever put on, especially our, our Fireside House concerts. And that means that, that you out there can put on your own version of a fireside contest by by hosting a bunch of your friends, cooking a meal, maybe serving up some coffee or ideally some beer if that's your thing, and just get people relaxed and enjoying a night of culture as you tune in to one of our pre-recorded live streams. Now, we've done concerts with Nick Fabian. We're about to do one with Michelle Mandico. That's actually coming up on March 14th. Okay, that would be a great time to host a live listening party with all of your friends. And uh, included in that is your opportunity to engage them and to say, hey, this is something that I'm invested in. This is something I get to be a part of. It's bigger than me. It spans eight countries across the world. You should get signed up today. And again, all you need is 20 people over the course of the entire month of March signing up. And then next thing you know, you're getting a free all expenses paid weekend trip to Nashville, Tennessee, one of the fastest growing cities in the country, 200 live shows a night, hot chicken that will change your life and, and probably affect you for about 24 hours, by the way. Uh, hot chicken's amazing, but it's so spicy. It just, it, it kind of leads to a bit of a process of recovery, but it's so worth it. We, we've also got Jack Daniels practically flowing out of our water fountains, okay? Nashville is where it's at, and you can maybe for the first time or maybe for the 10th time, come and visit us, and you can do it for free. Go to lovegoodcontest.com for all the details. Our last crew of apprentices, so last year, they were obsessed with temperaments like Marisol, who runs all of our operations. She's amazing. She gave a great talk 
that literally was the the topic of conversation for the next probably six weeks, you know? Yeah. And there's something amazing, right, about self-discovery, yeah, self-understanding, you know, and then, yeah, realizing that, hey, I might be hardwired this way. I might be disposed in these ways, but that doesn't mean I can't grow. Right. Doesn't mean that extra, I have an excuse now for vice, right? Yeah. So that's interesting and helpful, but also... I think for a brief period of time, all the apprentices would agree, we became a little obsessed, right? Yeah, it, was, it's a, it can happen. So self-discovery is never meant to be about triaging other people's problems. Yeah. But the synonyms tend, <laughs> tends to do that. It's horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Like you get this data and you start thinking like, oh, this is a good insight for me. And then you start immediately analyzing everyone else. And <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you've ever been on like a, you know, the job or you'll do like the Myers-Briggs or something, you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, those, those personality type indicators, which are unique. They're, they're not looking at temperament. They're looking at temperament plus character. So mm -hmm. they're looking at also how you've grown. Interesting. So personality um, tests are those two things combined. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they don't, they don't distill those out. So a good temperament ah. will look at your innate Disposition. So your personality can change. Yes. Yeah, so like for instance, um, your personality can absolutely develop and change over time. Wow. But your temperament doesn't. Yeah. Crazy. So for example, Myers-Briggs, a really good friend of mine was ENFP her entire life long. Mm -hmm. And then frankly, she's one of the most effective people I've ever met mm -hmm. in terms of communication, yeah. interpersonal relationships. And if she took the test today, she would be almost the exact opposite, yeah. which I think means that she has an ability to adjust and to be for any person or community of people what is most needed in that moment, yeah. which is in fact really virtuous and yeah. really self-giving. That's beautiful. So the only, the only person with all four temperaments and the only truth Jesus. was Jesus. That's cool. And you, so you can see it. You Whoa. can see the choleric Jesus, right? Cleansing the temple, calling people to action. <laughs> you can see the sanguine Jesus, right? Just hanging so out with Mary. Finding all four is oh, a good it's thing. Fun. It's yeah. what we want. We yeah. want to... Well, you want to have... You want to highlight the ones that you naturally have because they're right. gifts given to you by the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And you don't want to go up against them because you can spend your whole life like trying to turn off your cholerism. That's not the goal. Yeah. The goal is to grow in the virtue, the yeah. other virtue, so you can counterbalance that. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, you can... you can. This is, this is the joy of discovery. It's awesome. But yeah, but again, the moment you become obsessed with it or the... The challenge is people become either deterministic or voluntaristic. So deterministic mm. is to say, oh, it's all predetermined. I can't do anything about it. Right. I'm just a product of my temperament. Voluntaristic is the opposite. It says, no, I can will just by the sheer power of my will, right? It's very Nietzschean, right? I, if, I, if, you know, if I'm a choleric, I need to become you know, phlegmatic just by sheer will. No, it's not that either. It's yeah. about, yeah. It's, it's full circle. It's all going back to our other podcast about right, participating appropriately, yeah. participating with your nature, and also with God's grace to fulfill who God made you to be. God doesn't want to oppress your nature. He wants to bring it to its fruition. But you can have a touch of all four, I'm assuming. Yeah, so essentially some conflict though. So like if choleric is, 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 you know, fast and fierce and phlegmatic, they're opposite. You can't be a choleric phlegmatic because that'd yeah. be in opposition to yourself. And you can't be a sanguine melancholic. That'd be in opposition to itself. Yeah, so I'm pretty sure I'm sanguine choleric, but I have moments, even sometimes days, like yeah. on a silent retreat, for sure. example, where all of my melancholic comes out. Yeah. And not necessarily that I get melancholy. Right. It recognizes the difference, you right. know, but there's something that gets really kind deep of ideas, deep. And yeah. yeah, I want to, yeah, like really believe in the impossible on days like that, you know? St. John Vianney talks about the importance of confessors, of priests knowing yeah. their, their parishioners. And you know, this is true. I have a good friend who's evangelical. He says the same thing for just the little community he has. He says, you know, a big community would scare him because knowing a little community, he sort of knows mm. what people struggle with. And St. John Vianney says, you know, the man that comes into you that's naturally melancholic, that says he's being, you know, full of sloth. Or, no, he's not. He's just melancholic. Like, yeah, you gotta recognize yeah. that's not necessarily a sin. He's just being who he is. What he's got to do is grow in virtue mm -hmm. so that he can get out of that 
and ennoble some of those other, you know, other characteristics, other virtues. So it's a beautiful way of just sort of understanding that, you know, God has, God has made you a particular way, of course. Yeah. Uh, and in uh, your environment, your experiences have, have contributed to that. But ultimately, we're called to, to use our, our rational intellect and will to choose what's good, beautiful, and true to become the person we're called to be, which is, which is awesome, which yeah. is a, a beautiful thing, which leads right into like our vocation and what God calls us to, which is an, an amazing way to, to frame not only our identity, but what we're called to do in this yeah. world, which is that next question, who am I? And then how am I called to be a gift of service to others? So here's a question. I want to stretch this conversation yeah, let's do it. for a little bit longer because it's officially not at all what we sat down to talk about, which is No, great. that's a good sign, right? It's a really good sign. Temperaments, yeah. transcendentals. All right. Yeah. And this is more someone else's thought, not my own. Father Bennett Grishel wrote mm-hmm. a book in the mid 80s that really brings yes. together really solid modern psychology with the three, spirituality yeah, is the amazing. three ages of the, of the interior life. Yes. I actually do recommend it. Spiritual Passages by Father Bennett Grishel. Yeah. I just reread it this Great past text. springtime. My spiritual director mandated that I read oh, it again. Nice. So all that to say, one of the things he talks about early on in the book is that all of us are hardwired towards one of really the three transcendentals. Yeah. He recognizes unity, but he focuses in on truth, beauty, mm-hmm. and goodness. And I, I don't necessarily want to draw too many conclusions if they're not helpful, but is it possible, right, that someone who, you know, leans or is primarily melancholic would have a greater sensitivity to beauty, a a deeper sense of kind of awe and wonder, but also like struggle and strife? And Mm -hmm. and would it also be true that someone who's a bit more choleric, you know, not only just wants to get things done, but probably wants to get things done ideally in in the best possible way and, and for the greatest possible good, you know? So could there be a connection there? And then you can't help but wonder that the peacemaker, you know, the, the, the phlegmatic would certainly line up pretty neatly with, with goodness. You know, you think of like a, a mother Teresa who just sort of knew how to love yeah. and make a gift of herself. And what have we now forgotten? So and I like your, I like your analogy. I don't know if I'd agree with it fully, but it's great because it leaves the sanguine just to be in their own little world. I was just going to say- sanguines are totally happy there. They're fine. <laughs> I was just going to say, I'm primarily as, sanguine. Where as did I just as, land? As long as they're with other people, they're fine. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, so like one of, the, one, of the, one of the questions, so you know, I've, I've written a book on this and, and you know, one of the things we, we sort of joke about the sanguines, like if, so I- there's a funny story in my family that I, I always tell people I've gone to Madrid. And this is a true confession moment. My <laughs> wife reminds me that that my experience in Madrid was literally like an eight-hour layover. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I haven't been to Madrid. I know yeah. nothing of the people there. But the fact that I'm sanguine, I feel that I've been in a place. I've mm, talked to a few people. Yeah. I experienced a little bit of the food and eight hours of the culture. I'm sanguine. I know. I've been to Madrid. What? Oh, man. And, you know, she's much, much more, you know, phlegmatic melancholic. She's like, you haven't been to Madrid. To be, <laughs> you don't know Madrid. She would have had to live there. I'm like, I even asked her one day, I'm like, how long would I have lived in Madrid to say I'm from there? And she looked at me, she's like, what, 15, 20 years? Oh, wow. And I'm like, okay, eight hours, 15, 20. We can, we can agree <laughs> to disagree. Me in the middle you know? here, maybe. But yeah, but sanguines is really funny that they're, I, I, you know, I do like your analogy in the sense that sanguines really are just comfortable being in a relationship. Yeah. We're, well, maybe they're unity. I mean, yeah, to be may, fair, oh, hey, because they would they be the one that's constantly connecting dots, constantly yeah, networking. The glue. And, I'm thinking about my mom right now. Okay. All right. She is so happy when she's with me. You've met my mom. Yeah. She's I, very I, I rarely yeah. have guests on the podcast who haven't met my mom. Hey, mom. Yeah. <laughs> how you doing? Yeah. So interestingly enough, like she's really happy being around people almost to the extent that like that's all she needs in yep. a really beautiful and a really yep. heroic way. I'm a lot like her. 
there's also parts of me that just can't dilly daddle. And right. like, if I find that I'm wasting time, even with people, there comes a point where I have to turn on my choleric and get something done. Yeah. Otherwise I'm going to go to bed feeling really like I've wasted yeah. the day, you know? Why am I bringing this up? I think there is something maybe not exact here, you know, but certainly reflective, self-reflective for all of us to, to think about because we talk about the transcendentals all the time yeah. around here. It does make sense to me that we have probably more people who are very intrigued and primarily engaged by beauty listening yeah. to this podcast because it's kind of what we're about. Let beauty right. break through. You know, that's sort of our our whole thing is letting beauty speak, letting it lead, letting it, you know, be brought to the to the forefront of our lives in a culture that really is full of noise. And not, right. not even necessarily sure that beauty and noise can be put up against each other, but beauty is certainly an antidote, just like silence is, just like prayer and and meaningful conversation and all that to say, we're actually close to having run out of time. So I have no idea how to land this point. I, I do. Did you see I what do. I just did there? I, I just sort yeah, of like, I, I just that. hoped that maybe eventually you would, would pick land. something and then I think I got it. you are landing this I think I, got, I think I got it. We'll bring it down if we can. So, you know, th- there's more than just three transcendentals, of course. Right. Uh, there's like six I heard. So there's, there's thingness and so there's and there's stuff. Traditionally five. There are more, but the, the five that Plato zoned in on, right? Beauty, truth, goodness. But he also <laughs> zoned in on 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 being, on place. That's right. And he called it home. You would bring that and up. So Dr. yeah, Ryan, that's right. Of course. So, and then, then of love, of perfect love, and and love then tied to just because we've all been hurt before, and you know, the joke that even thieves don't want to be stolen from because they have this you know, sort of perfect sense of, of being in the right relationship. Yeah. So I think there are others, and so if that's the case, if we want to line up, I mean, I think there might be a propensity. So maybe the way to say it would be this: is that melancholics maybe are most wounded when beauty's obscured, uh-huh. right? And I think like we can just go to The Idiot, my favorite book of all time. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to read any of Dostoevsky, read The Idiot. It's so amazing. The main character, Prince Mishkin, has you know uh, epilepsy and he writes the book in such a way that you feel like you have epilepsy because you Dang. enter in episodically into this guy's life where you just sort of feel jolted. You're having to go back a few pages and whatnot, but it's a beautiful book about authentic beauty and, wow. and that, that famous line where their beauty will save the world. So maybe... You can say melancholics are, are most attuned and most sensitive to that that sort of beauty wound, where phlegmatics might be, you know, most uh, that sense of justice, a sense of goodness. Mm. Um, and then cholerics just want the truth; they just want to get it done and then get it done in a way that's effective. And that I think sanguines then, you know, I mean, sanguines <laughs> naturally you'd think would be connected to love, but I think all all of them are that unity would be the love. So I think sanguines might be that real desire for a sense of home. Oh, that real man. desire. So they're wounded most by not having a sense of place, Dang. right? A sense of a sense of community. So this is easily one of so. the most unique conversations yes. that have ever <laughs> taken place on the Love Good Podcast. Yeah. And consider it our musings for the day that hopefully will inspire continued conversations. Yeah. Because this is like not exactly stuff that people think about very mm-hmm. often. But man, it's powerful and it's cool and a bit like whimsical at the same time. I don't know how you do it, but every week, Ryan, you bring us something new. Yeah, so a lot to reflect on. I don't know if any of these are finished ideas. <laughs> we're all we're, in a process job, of becoming huh? job security for future podcasts. So <laughs> we're, go. we're good for that. Can't so. land too many planes, you know. You got to pick it back up. Well, and that's what we'll do in awesome. uh, just a few weeks. Peace. All right, thanks for having me. Sometimes I wish that I could just turn back. I miss tea by the fire and soft green grass. But some deeper part inside of my soul is keeping me on this road.
You're listening to Homeland off of the brand new EP from Marie Miller called Butterfly Collector. This is one of the songs that's already been released from Marie and is currently in the hands of all of our patrons as part of a bigger album that she has not yet released anywhere else. So again, that's Homeland from Marie Miller, a beautiful, beautiful new single. And uh, there's so much more coming from Marie. And again, our patrons are the first ones to have access to that. If you're not yet a patron, go to joinlovegood.com and you can get not only that song, but so many others that aren't on Spotify or Apple Music or anywhere else yet. And uh, this is the great joy really of Love Good that we get to invest in artists like Marie, artists that we really believe in, not just their artistry, their musicianship, but their way of life. You know, we're, we're saying that, you know, Marie, Scott Mulvihill and countless others are, are living in such a way that they really are captivating not only fans, but fellow artists and industry executives. And and people can just tell what's different about them. And of course, their faith has everything to do with that. But so too does this community of patrons, even listeners of the Love Good Podcast. All of you are placing your vote for the future of our culture and telling artists like Marie and Scott to keep doing what they're doing. So it's a huge privilege. As you know, many of our patrons are right now vying for a free trip to Nashville and so many other amazing rewards. And you can learn more about that at lovegoodcontest.com. Next week, I'll be sitting down with John Tibbs, a brand new friend, an up-and-coming singer-songwriter, someone that we met through Matt Marr and a few other mutual friends. And we get to chat about his brand new album, just to hear some of the incredible, incredible stories actually behind his new songs and singles that are already out. And of course, this this full length that is about to debut. So we're super pumped to sit down with John. As always, nothing but love and prayers from Nashville. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. Tell your friends all about us. Follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and join our movement today by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Start enjoying our exclusive content and seasonal packages that will raise your standard for music, books, and art and inspire you to build a better culture. We can't wait to accompany you as you change the world.